Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast. I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. Happy to be joined today by Josh Blank, research director for the Texas Politics Project. I'm not going to mention the weather. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing pretty all right. I'm doing okay. All right, good. Well, you know, we recorded late last week and are recording early this week just because of our enthusiasm for the work we do. That's not even a joke. That's not even <laughs> I, a joke. I almost said I almost said to you last week on Thursday when we finished recording, should we just record another one or should we come in tomorrow and record another one? <laughs> should we just get Darren out of here and record another we'll just one? Let's do another one. It's like, uh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, we recorded late last week with um, – with Darren Shaw, our uh, comrade in arms when it comes to the polling, among other things. Um, so not a lot of time has passed since our initial discussion of our June poll, but as, as we're discussing, that's kind of the point. There's a lot in the poll. Uh, there's a lot going on. And while we managed to cover a lot of ground last week with Darren, uh, much of that discussion was understandably focused on the impeachment and, and trial of suspended Attorney General Ken Paxton. I'm thinking today we can try to accomplish a couple of overlapping goals. So one, step back a bit, look at what the poll tells us overall about views of the legislature in the wake uh, of the regular session and how much those views now are a break from what we usually see or not. And over the way, and, and along the way, kind of touch on some of the results that we didn't get quite get to last week. Um, and just generally kind of think about what the poll told us about views of the legislature and views of legislative performances. I mean, it, look, as we record this today, I think we have every expectation that the first special session called by the governor is going to, you know, peter out this week. You know, the clock's going to run out, uh, without anything having gotten done, um, you know, and, and we ended the last podcast talking about the support for specific policy proposals that we tested in the poll. Um, and we were talking about those views, you know, I think not just among Republicans, but uh, among Texans overall and looking at the comparatively lower levels of enthusiasm and confidence in the legislature when we asked about approval for the legislature's behavior in broader policy areas. Now, where we, I think we want to land today is to also look at some of our more specific, mm -hmm. our results on some of the more specific policy proposals, which we hit last time and and talked about a bit. But that dynamic is interesting as we've been talking about both in terms of, you know, kind of the, some of the subtleties at work here in, in, in polling, but also in terms of talking about the broader cross currents in public opinion on policy performance, right? I mean, so we'll, we'll, let's unspool that. I think we want to start, you know, most directly, if we're going to talk about how people view the legislature, 
We should just start with overall job approval, which we've asked a bunch of times. And just to do that quickly, overall job approval, 33% approved, 40% disapprove, which is on the low end of what we've seen over the last six or so sessions, right? Yeah, we've seen, you know, again, we've been doing this for a while now, and so we can we can make good comparison points at sort of the June, June polling end of session. And, and approval, you know, over this time period, over 10 years, has ranged between a low of 28% uh, and a high of about 42%. Disapprovals range between 29% uh, and 48%. We can talk about which specifically which years there were, were, but it's a little bit of a, a little bit too much depth here. Yeah. <laughs> Strangely enough. Let's not get too deep. Let's not get too deep on this. <laughs> um, now, it's almost 4th of July. Well, and it's one of the, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, there are a couple sort of, I think, quick take reactions to some of these types of numbers that I think are fair if you don't dig into it very much. And one of, you know, I think one of, and we're going to kind of, I think we're going to address both of those reactions today. So one reaction about the general numbers might be to say, hey, you know, yeah, well, of course, approval numbers are a little bit low. They're in a special session. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. And generally, you know, I think if you've, I mean, I'm sort of feeling like this is probably true, although I need to like, I'm going to say this is a a guess, although I think the data probably is supporting this, mm-hmm. you know, the longer the legislature is around, it generally doesn't add to, you know, positive evaluation. I'm not saying it's impossible. It depends on the circumstances, I think, in which the legislature sure. gets called back. But if you think about the last session, and again, the circumstances were very different, having multiple special sessions that time and the causes of those special sessions, both from the, a policy the, Yeah, and I mean, a practical the, de- the Democrats flee, you know, breaking quorum in 2021 definitely colored that. Right. But I think, you know... In, you know, interestingly enough, you know, given how often we talk about how little people pay attention to this stuff, it seems like in a state that sort of expects its government to be at least somewhat limited and only kind of there and active for a long period of time, the longer they stay around, it does seem to start to test people's patience a bit, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you know, that's an interesting response. I mean, I think... Um, well, I mean, it's actually... It's, 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 well, it's, I want to be, let me finish read. the point. It's yeah. a little bit of... I mean, it's not a straw man, but it's a little bit of it. I think that's out there. And I think that is definitely, you know, it's it's coloring some of the negativity. But I think the point is you got to dive into the numbers and say, well, wait a minute. Is this just because, you know, they haven't succeeded on some of the things they say they were going to succeed on? Or is this more broad? Yeah. And when you start to look at these this data, and as we're going to go into it a little bit deeper, what you find is that the discontent is a little bit more broadly distributed and more focused on a number of areas at this point that's not just about property taxes. Right. Because it's more broadly distributed, there's a lot more places for people to rest you know, to, to park, I shouldn't say rest, to park there, you know, look, this is Texas and this, we are living in the moment that we're in, you know, that, I think that's a good, that's a good way of putting it, that broader array that we can look at in part because we pull on so damn many things, right. but also, you know, it gives a lot of different people, different places to park their discontent. And that discontent, I think, is part political culture in the state and part the immediate kind of circumstances. I mean, if you go back to the, that range of approval numbers that you talked about, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, nothing in that range said, well, you know, there have been times when 70% of Texans approved of what the legislature right. was Ex- doing. Exactly. But, but, but so, and this is the point though. So when we start to, we'll keep kind of coming back to this. Now, look, it's not, it wouldn't be surprising to say, yeah, there's overwhelming disapproval among Democrats because Democrats are out of power. So their voters are negative, but, a, but a majority, you know, but the plurality of the sample is made up of Republicans because the plurality of voters in the state are made up of Republicans. And when we look at their numbers, it's not as though they're 
brimming with approval of what's gone on here, right? And so what we see is we find, you know, 50% in total GOP approval of of the job the legislature has done. Uh, only 9% of that is strong approval, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Is that wrong to have that right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, well, no, I didn't know is, if you were looking at something else from your top secret notes. I'm sorry. It's 52%. It, it's, you know, what I have is 52% oh, approve. Right. But, you know, the point I think you're heading yeah. to is that 42% of Republicans only approve somewhat, right. only 10% of Republicans approve strongly, which is interesting, but also not totally off the line. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, not totally off the line. I mean, you know, what's interesting about it is, you know, when you think about it, if I was sitting here and I'm like trying, you know, just, I just putting myself in the position of, you know, sort of, let's say a Republican leader in the state, knowing that I have total control over the agenda, I have the votes to pass what I want to pass. I can't look at these numbers and say home run. The other piece of this that's interesting is you've got about, you know, a quarter of Republicans who are just kind of not not offering up an opinion at this point or not holding one about it, which is right. also kind of problematic given the you know the the role that sort of mobilization in this state plays. So it's not a ringing endorsement. And I think what you're gonna see as we kind of go into these numbers a little bit more is that, you know, it's hard to just say, well, this is about the special session. This is about the fact that they didn't do what they said they're gonna do. But it's like, yeah, as we start to dig into these numbers, these pockets of discontent where I think if you're a Republican leader in the state, you wouldn't expect there to be keep popping up. And yeah. that's, you know, I think that's what's sort of, you know, so interesting here in a lot of ways. And I think it does relate in some ways to policy, but in a complicated way. Right. I mean, so I think, you know, one last kind of point, a couple of small points about the general, you know, these kind of general reads. I mean, you kind of, you know, you, know, you, put, you put it forth as a little bit of a straw man, and I think that's right, but only a little bit. I mean, you know, I think, Two things to note here is, you know, one thing that we notice probably maybe maybe more closely and maybe in being fair, we overestimate it a little bit. But I think, again, as you were saying, I could I could find data certainly on media use patterns to back this up. Yeah. You know, whether the coverage is intensely negative or, you know, whatever the tone of the coverage allowing for, you know, eliminating outliers, um, you know, as summer – you know, sets in, and then you've got a special session. Mm -hmm. And this is the point I'm saying from our, you know, reflects our experience. A lot of the local news television stations are covering what's going on, the fact of the special session, what's going on. And, you know, that's bound to be a little bit negative. And it taps into, again, the, both the negativity of the moment, as I was saying earlier, and activates that kind of wellspring of, negative predispositions towards government or mediocre predispositions towards government and the legislature. And I think that's one, you know, so there's that. And then the other piece, just to kind of peel off something, that's the, that's the traditional media piece. Yeah. And then there's the social media piece, which is, you know, I mean, if, if you're somebody who is still on Twitter and we said this or watching social media, you know, one of the arguments being proffered for this dissatisfaction by interested parties on the, you know, on the far end of the, the far right end of the Republican Party is that this is a result of dissatisfaction among conservatives and the fact that conservatives are, you know, the, the people that are really feeling betrayed on this. And that is not indicated in the data. Yeah, there's not, I mean, that's what, I mean, what I love is, first of all, that Argument is made at the end of every single session, no matter what. Yeah, certainly for the last, you know, yeah. 
five yeah, successions, sessions, this, yeah. this idea that somehow the far right has been let down and therefore they're upset. Now, we ask a bunch of questions that kind of get at this. We ask about, you know, the whether or not conservative or I'm sorry, whether or not Republican elected officials are conservative enough or not. And we ask this among Republicans and we look at, you know, the views of extreme conservatives and everybody else. And there's not a lot of sense that Republicans are not being conservative enough. And when we look at the results across, you know, multiple dimensions of evaluation, it's not as though, you know, the extreme, you know, the people who are the, identify as the most conservative in the sample hold less positive views than Republicans overall. In fact, for the most part, they hold more positive it's views. It's the opposite. Yeah. they are, Look, I mean, if you look at some <laughs> of the policies that are pursuing that are the most controversial, those are direct shots to this group of voters. And it's not as though they aren't, you know, they don't look like Republicans. I mean, for the most part, again, the, 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 a uh, majority trajectory within the Republican Party is aligned with these extreme conservatives. But when we look at evaluations of the legislature in these key areas and, you know, reactions to policies, you know, this is this is the target market for a lot of these guys and gals are basically fine. Right. And look, I, I, I really I think it's important to to really underline that. Yeah. I mean, because and underline the fact that they're, you know, the the data on this are pretty unambiguous. I mean, if you look at those legislative underneath the hood of those legislative approval numbers that we were just talking about, you know, as you say, people that identify as extremely conservative on our seven point ideology scale, um, the approval level is, you know, the aggregate approval level is highest among those who say they're they're increasingly con- they're extremely conservative, and the overall disapproval level is highest among those who say they only lean conservative. So it's actually the opposite of that narrative. Right. Exactly. And this is look and like you know it's like there's sort of a duh, but I mean we're trying to you know disentangle you know, what what people say about the electorate and what's actually going on here. And the thing is, we've been talking about this for a while after. You know, at this point now, let's just say two sessions in a row that that really leaned heavily conservative and a lot of the focus that was, uh, I would say, highlighted by the media, highlighted by leadership, made to be, you know, presented in a positive light to these voters. You know, what you end up with, and we talked about a lot of times, there's not a lot of low-hanging fruit here for like, you know, conservative-leaning Republican voters. You know, ultimately, a lot of the stuff that they've been going after the last couple of years have been enacted. We have permitless carry. We have a ban on abortion. And so at this point, you find yourself reaching for like, you know, things like, I mean, you know, we can not to whatever I'm just going to say, you know, like gender affirming care. And you start worrying about what right. books are in the libraries. And this starts to make these sort of, you know, conservative by nature, but not ideal, you know, not overwhelmingly ideological Republicans a little bit squeamish. And you yeah. see that in the data. Yeah. And you're, you know, you're beginning to search for either those niche issues or, you know, you're looking to open up kind of new beachheads, if you will. But here's the real issue with this. When you're searching for niche issues, the problem becomes how does how do those niche issues align or or fail to align with people's overall evaluations about the direction of the state and about areas of big policy? Right. And I think that's where you can start to say, like, well, you know, we sort of ended with this last week. Well, when we look at the specific policy areas, we see a lot of approval for these policy areas. But as we pointed out last week, that's endogenous to the process, right? Not only to the overall you know, it depends on regardless of what time frame you look at. And there's two points to this. One, it's very introduction to the process at the beginning is a reflection of the fact that these are issues that leadership have determined based on the coalitional politics within the state are winning issues for them, whether because right. it's overwhelmingly po- popular with Republicans, 
it's overwhelmingly popular with Republicans and breaks off a significant number of Democrats, or in some cases, it's just overwhelmingly popular with the most conservative voters right. in the electorate, right? But then also, then we learn about these policies. We hear that these are going on, and then what happens? They get refined throughout the process to become even more palatable to the electorate, right? And so we see this in the terms of like, the, the most obvious example that comes to mind is, is the drag show bill, right? Yeah, right. So prohibiting, you know, drag performances, you know, in public places, in front of a minor. And then over time, that bill became, well, let's just prohibit sexually explicit performances in public places in front of a minor. And just like, you know, look, even if you don't study public opinion, you could understand how this very specific, you know, instance of saying, you know, drag shows are the same, the idea of we're going right. to put into law a definition of drag shows so that we keep minors away from this. And some very funny testimony, to be quite honest, if you watched it in right. terms of people. You know, I mean, a lot of Democrats asking people, well, where did you see a drag show? On the internet. So you watch drag shows on the internet, you know, <laughs> yeah. these funny interactions to like, hey, look, who's against, you know, keeping sexually explicit performances? Right, exactly. And if, you know, I mean, in some ways it's a, it's some kind of combination of, you know, the, all the discussion of 20 or 30 years ago about a subtle shift in language or to something, you know, the semiotics of this are pretty oh, basic, right? In yes. terms of saying, you know, look, one, you know, you start off saying drag shows, yeah. Loudly, you know, and children. Yeah. To saying sexually explicit, right. a broader category, but you crank up the exposure to kids. And, you know, it, you know, yeah. why wouldn't that work? Yeah. And, and also, in stark, in stark political terms. Right. Well, right. And I mean, something you have to ask yourself, regardless, you know, I think if you're listening to this, you're obviously probably have a pretty developed ideology. But the thing you need to do is you need to sweep that away for a second and say, forgetting, you know, downstream consequences, second and third order, you know, argumentations about these things. Does that sound like a reasonable policy? And you know what? To most people, it's going to sound like reasonable policy. But the question is, is that a policy that addresses a broader area of concern in terms of the way that people are thinking about the state and thinking about the issues? Yeah. Or is it so niche that it doesn't really address it? Right. And there's, you know, I mean, I and I, what I like about that point and, and you know, as we were talking about how to approach this a little bit for the discussion is that, you know, what that brings out is the nature, uh, you know, one important aspect of political discourse, mm -hmm. right? Which is it's recursive. Yeah. You know, there's a bit of ongoing trial and error or, you know, whatever your sort of figure of speech is, you know, you on something like that, the, so, uh, particularly in the middle of a session, mm -hmm. you know, you're kind of building the airplane while you're flying it. In terms of going, oh, we, we're going to start this way, and the process is going to play out. Yeah. And through what we think of as some of the normal mechanisms of the legislative process and the public response to the legislative process, you make course adjustments, pass these compromise bills, and then declare victory. Right. And, you know— it, it, Or the plane never gets off the ground. Right. And Or or it crashes. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Depending on— I love you that. Know, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to <laughs> torture that metaphor. So— um, so let's, you know, I mean, let's put a little, well, well, let's, let's put a little bit of meat on these bones, but I do want to flag at this point, you know, production note, um, you know, we will post this. We're going to probably go through a few more numbers. We've talked about some numbers already. If you're listening to this on one of the podcasting platforms, as always, we'll have a post at the Texas Politics Project website, texaspolitics.utexas.edu. Uh, you know, you may have to write this down, <laughs> you, know, you, you know, follow the polling link. You'll see a link, a, a, a menu choice to go to the blog, the, the podcast, 
the supplemental, you know, podcast plus post will be in that blog session section and we'll have links and, and graphics. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit about these. So legislative efforts, you were talking about, you know, sort of general policy areas a minute ago versus these specific proposals that evolve more specifically in the process and the cross currents we see in this data. So let's let's start with kind of the bad news in a way. So legislative efforts in general policy areas that we tested. We looked at 16 policy areas in the poll. Right. And the legislature's efforts failed to earn approval from a majority of Texas voters in any of those policy areas. Only three policy areas found more voters approving than disapproving, that is in net positive territory, mm-hmm. of the job performance of state leaders and the legislature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, beyond that, I mean, we'd say, you know, go further and say seven of those issues saw, you know, a net negative approval between, you know, minus one and minus seven points. And six issues saw uh, a gap of 10 points or more where, you know, the share disapproving, disapproved by 10 points or more than the share who approved. But here's the the real problem when you look at this. Now, again, Take a step back. It'd be very easy to say, "What you know?" I'll just put this out there real quick, and then we'll move on. Was Democratic disapproval overwhelming for almost all of these issues? Yes, as we would expect. But there are only five issues in which fifty percent or more of Republicans approve of how the legislature did on right. these issues. Right. So five of the sixteen areas. Okay. No issue saw net positive approval among independents. And, you know, we brought this up a little bit last week, but this is important for those who follow political geography in the state, right? Only two issues saw net positive evaluations in the suburbs. And the issue that was sort of one of the higher ones, the economy, you know, that's not really in control of the legislature. I mean, ultimately, you know, sort of in some ways, the legislature benefits from the fact that, you know, inflation has been cooling a little bit over this time period. And so in some ways, you know, that's almost just a benefit they get. It might be worse if it weren't so. So they're getting the benefit of the economy. And and for the most part, the Democrats are getting (laughs) blamed for the downside. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's, you know, the lag, et cetera, et cetera. And just to give people a a sense of what we're talking about here. We're talking about policy areas because we'll move on in a second. You know, in terms of the language on the poll, we're talking about asking people about things and I'm just kind of randomly pulling these, you know, so that you could get a sense of the generality. You know, abortion policy, school safety, healthcare, K through 12 education, mental health services, the electric grid. And what you'll notice, so there's no directionality right. in those terms. We're just saying, thinking about this general policy area Based on what you've heard. Based on what you, you know, there. what do you, you know, what do you think? Right. And so, you know, you're, ba- I mean, I, you know, to be fair to some degree, yeah. without discounting, and I think the, the way that you said where the, the different, you know, the extent of disapproval was, you know, I mean, we're picking up on what is still a generally negative political environment to some extent. Yeah, and, and I think the other- But the legislature, ha- I mean, it's fair to say, the legislature hasn't really helped themselves on that. Well, and this is sort of the thing. I mean, you know, if we sort of think of like a, I mean, I don't know how to, I don't know how to like say this out in any sort of meta. We use a lot of metaphors here, but the things I'm thinking about are three sort of buckets, right? Uh, and, and it sort of spans time and space a little bit, right? And one is something we talk about- Buckets all, that okay. span time it's buckets and space. Buckets that span time and space. Well, that's what happens when you don't have a good metaphor at hand, okay? <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, sir. I like it, no. Uh, and I so, like for, it actually. so one thing we haven't brought up here, but we bring up a lot is, you know, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but just was the overwhelming 
sort of negative assessments towards institutions broadly that have been going on for a number of years now, right? And we've talked about sort of the right direction, wrong track numbers. You know, we see about a majority of Texans who for a while now have said the state's on the wrong track, you know, negative evaluations of institutions of all kind. And it's sometimes, you know, we've talked about this previously, you know, because, I mean, I would say this. I was thinking about this this morning, and I, you know me, I like to be fair. It's not as though both parties over time haven't contributed in one way or another to sort of fomenting a certain amount of, uh, you know, antipathy towards traditional American institutions. And, if you, you know, even though the right has been more, <laughs> much more at the forefront of this recently, you know, you can think back not long ago. Yeah. And again, I would say also, you know, a lot of the time that these are, you know, this is the nature of a pluralistic system, to the extent that, you know, there's uh, antipathy on the right towards all institutions, let's say, that's a small share of Republicans, but it's part of the discourse. Right. To the extent that there's antipathy, let's say, on the left towards, like, capitalism, Yeah. that's there, it's a small share, but it's still... Yeah, look, look I, I would summarize that by saying, look, you know, a generation ago, maybe a little bit more, so yeah. I get older, you know, systemic critique was much more a, in the United States, was yes. much more a feature of the left than the right. Right. As we fast forward to the present, um... There's at least parity, and and perhaps even you know I mean they're moving in different directions for the most part, but right. And so um, so I think you know if you think about what is the broadest context we could look at, we could say there's these incredibly negative and increasingly negative evaluations of all institutions. And we'd ask the question a couple times you know throughout the course of as we've been watching public opinion in this space develop, how long can you criticize institutions? Let's say as the party that's in charge of all the institutions broadly, and not have that eventually seep into your own actions. Right. And then we look at this, right, which is saying, okay, let's look at you know broad evaluation of the legislature, how they did. Let's look at evaluations in all these areas. And then you find, again, really negative evaluations for right. the most part, and that's the central thrust. And then we have to come to this third piece, which is was like, well, yeah, but they, but they deal in concrete policies. So what are the reactions to those policies? And there... What's interesting, this is maybe the most complicated piece of this, which is to say, yeah, in general, they're relatively positive, but this is where we need to kind of go into some speculation, right? This is where the politics of this really, you know, come, comes to the fore. And so let's talk a little bit, I guess, about the policies for a minute. Yeah. And then we can kind of get into like how we think about the dynamics of this. And I mean, the one thing I want to say out loud, so I don't forget, but the question of, you know, can you mobilize these specific policies, during the campaign season to change people's views in terms of these broader currents, right? right. So the idea is, you know, you know, for the, the most obvious example, maybe we'll come back to school, you know, education maybe a little bit later because it's such a complicated area. But for example, you know, does requiring an armed guard on every public school campus during school hours, which saw 76% support, including 59% of Democrats, right. does that make Texans feel like schools are safer? Well, and then if we go back then to the other side and say, at the issue level, do you approve or disapprove of what the legislature has done on school safety? 35% approve, 42% disapprove. And further, fewer than 20% think the legislature has done anything sufficient to improve school safety when asked about their confidence in that. Right. And so... And so that, and I mean, like that's such a great, ex I mean, it's a great example because it really lays out this dynamic here, Right. Now, it doesn't mean that this is fixed for in perpetuity, and that's that's sort of the point going forward is, you know, it's going to be the job of legislative candidates to come out and say, not only did we fix the grid, but this is how we fixed the grid. This is how we did it. 
But I think, you know, looking at this data, it sort of makes you, I mean, I think the question, and I mean, just makes me wonder is how effective are they going to be at that given this sort of overwhelmingly widespread, uh, you know, set of attitudes? Right. And you can, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's interesting. So you could basically, and we haven't quite done this. This is really, for us, it's a whiteboard exercise yeah. that then hopefully would result in yeah. some kind of making sense of this. But you know, as I'm sitting here looking at my notes, you can probably hear me writing on the recording. Sorry, they'll probably edit it out because they're so great. But, you know, I mean, if you look at, for example, you, you can find all these examples where either there's something, the approval levels on this on the specific issues more or less correspond to the general policy, but then you to the general policy approvals. But you can also find the opposite and sometimes within the same area. In a way, that's kind of the point, right? Exactly. So, so this kind of goes back to I think how we think about about maybe poll, you know about polling and maybe maybe about politics in some, in some ways. I think it's related here. Yeah. You know, and how and why we ask so many questions and why we ask it in different ways, right? So on the one hand, we have this you know sixteen policy areas where we ask people to approve or disapprove of the legislation. We have these sixteen specific policies that we think you know we're uh, in the discussion enough that people should you know have a reaction to or might have a reaction to. And in some ways, you know, we're trying to do a lot of different things with both of these, both on their own and together. And I think it's worth just for a moment kind of trying to explain that, right? I think, you know, when we're looking at the broad policy areas what we're and even broad evaluations, what we're really trying to understand is what are the cross currents here? As you, as you pointed out, you said something key there before, which is, you know, there's no direction in the question. Right. We're asking the voter to provide us the direction. You know, there's another question, type of question we ask a lot Uh which is about, you know, whether or not a law or, you know, should be more strict, less strict or left as it is now. So for example, should abortion policies and laws be more strict? Should gun laws be more strict, less strict? And this gives us just a sense, what's the temperature? Yeah. And what we're trying to figure out here is when we talk about cross currents, we're trying to figure out what's the temperature? You know, what's important to the electorate? Where are they leaning on that policy? But it doesn't tell us where we should land, right? The policies are going to ultimately be the political, you know, the, 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 the elite's interpretation of how they can best, you know, mobilize what's at their disposable to deal with the current cross currents. But really when we assess them, all we're kind of looking at is what are the guardrails? And sometimes we find a guardrail, sometimes we don't. Right. You know, so for example, abortion's an interesting area where there's a clear guardrail and we're all we're over it. We're past it. Right. We crashed through that a while ago. We crashed through that a while ago and well, ultimately about a year ago. About a year ago. And, and ultimately well, actually in Texas we crashed through it. We crashed through it a while ago. But ago. but the thing is pop but but views in that policy area have remained negative and they don't change. It doesn't because we've gone through the guardrail. And some of this stuff we see, you know, just because you haven't hit a guardrail doesn't mean that you've necessarily like done a good job. And that's kind of part of the piece here, right? You know, we I think you know transportation policy is like the great example of this, and we've talked about this. Speaking before. of guardrails, yeah. Well, no, I'm listen. Hey, hey that's now see that's a I got a good night's that's sleep. That's a good consonant. That's a good consonant metaphor. I right? got a good night's sleep here. You know, we talk about polling in in transportation is interesting because essentially what you find is is that whatever you ask voters, you know, do you think we should add more roads? Do you think you know we should? Uh, increase HOV lanes, so on and so forth, whatever. And generally, people will say, yeah, I support all those things. I support anything that might reduce traffic. And then we say, you know, like, do you think this is going to reduce traffic? No. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't think so, but I'm happy to see you try. Right. And I think, you know, there's some sense with some of these where you kind of look at it and say, well, yeah, sure, I think it's a good idea. I mean, like, who again, I kind of think go back to the beginning of this, you know, it's like, you know, it would take, do I think that keeping, you know, an armed guard on school campuses might increase safety? Yeah, I think it might. But do I think it significantly improves safety in campuses? 
Probably not. But that's where the, the political dynamic comes in, in terms of mobilizing this. But you look at this set of issues, and it's hard not to come away and say, you know, like from my perspective and say, I'm curious to see how the campaigns treat this set of issues, the things they've done, and whether or not the voters, both Republicans and Democrats, and that's the key here, this is not just Democrats, whether Republicans, Democrats, and independents buy that rationale. Right. We've made schools safer because we did this. We made the grid more reliable because we did that. We, you know, lowered your property. We lowered your property taxes because we did this. And this is why property taxes is such a, a difficult issue because you know what? The voters are going to get a scorecard back and it's called their property tax assessments. Right. And it's they, not, that doesn't come from an interest group or that's just somebody tough. that half, you know, a third of the elect, two thirds of the electorate is going to ignore while a third. It doesn't come from Newsmax or MSNBC. It. Right. it comes in your mailbox. And so, to, you know, to, to kind of wind this together, I mean, having, you know, swimmer, yeah. <laughs> you know, gone wading around in yeah. the subtleties and the complexities you know, we started with thinking about where people are with the legislature in this moment. I think it's worth pointing out that when you tie all these things together, despite the differences between the specifics of policy and the assessments in the general policy areas and all of the dynamics we're talking about, um, you know, ratings were pretty relatively low within the logic of each battery. Yeah. Um, in areas that have been either demonstrated as salient to voters or important in a way of having staked out public attempts to set the agenda by elites and opinion leaders. So if you look at the specific policy proposals, you know, where we said they were significantly higher and we went over the, you know, several of those were in the 70s, yep. et cetera. But the ones that were that scored the lowest are pretty interesting, mm -hmm. right? Well, so only say, 41... The ones that scored the highest were pretty interesting, too. Well, so but, well, yeah, but, you know... Let me, Go ahead. So, at the bottom, mm -hmm. only 41% supported and 35% and opposed reducing the power of cities and counties to pass laws and regulations in areas where state and local uh, governments have traditionally shared authority, right? In other words, the preemption bill, the right. state preemption beer, bill... Or, you know, if you must, the Death Star Bill. <laughs> um, you, know, you know, second from the bottom, 49% su supported and 34% opposed prohibiting DEI at universities and colleges. Now, both of those passed. Right. Um, and then to round that out, 55% supported and 37% opposed prohibiting public school libraries from containing any materials that describe, depict, or portray sexual content. Now, that's a good example of a bill that evolved over the process right. and was made more palatable in a way that is actually less draconian, I would argue, in terms of being a direct prohibition in terms of the language of the question. But what we know about both of those issues as an example is that Neither were very high on voters' list when we asked specifically right. either, you know, you know, in reference to the preemption bill, you know, we asked open-ended questions on both polls about – on both the February and April poll about what the legislature should be focused on as well as sort of an assessment of, you know, what should be the most important priorities of the legislature and closed-ended questions. And this idea of preemption or, you know, basically, you know, cities run amok did not come up. Right. I mean, did not come up. And also when we talked – when we looked at, you know – priorities for the public ed space in the Texas legislature, you know, removing these books from libraries 
did not come up. Now, ultimately, again, to speak to your you know idea of the, the evolution of this, you know, we were pulling about this previously because the uh, the scope of it was broader, not in the legislature, but in the discussion. Right. The right. idea was, you know, you had. Uh, county library systems who were taking books off the shelves. Right. And in general, when we asked about that, that was not popular. Right. Okay, to, but to connect this, so yeah. now to connect this Sorry. with the other more general policy areas, if you look at the lowest assessments in those general policy areas, right. we saw a combination of things that they didn't do, but also things that they did sort of, tr that they did try to do to some extent. But this is also, you know, suggests also why these overall numbers may be low. So, uh, again, going roughly from the bottom of the assessment of general policies up, only 25% approved of what the legislature did on, wait for it, property taxes. 45% disapproved, net negative 20, right? Pretty close to that on mental health services. And this is an interesting one, I think, that we haven't talked about much, but is worth putting a pin in. Same, 25% approved, slightly, you know, but statistically similar, lower Disapproval, 25, 38, net negative 13. And then the grid at 28 approved, 44 disapproved. Now, that's something they did act on. Um, net negative 16. Um, and then we can pick one of the 28. So we'll go to political corruption and ethics, 28% approved, 42% disapproved, net negative 14. So what do we have if we step back and look at that? You know, you know, and it's worth then saying, right behind all those, and just to make the point, public education and gun violence were both at 30%. And, you know, I've been talking about, um, you know, the political geography and the importance of the suburbs. Right. What's really interesting is there were six issues that saw at least 47% disapproval among suburban voters, and they are important ones. They were school right. safety, gun violence, immigration and border security, political corruption and ethics – the grid and property taxes. Right. So, so for all, right. So for, and, and the suburbs obviously kind of ground zero for where, you know, what fights there are electorally are taking place. But if you take a look at then, so if you then look at those specific issues and look at where the negative ratings are on the general issues and the specific yeah. issues, you know, it's not shocking to see that the overall assessments are not very good and a little bit, again, low, a little bit lower than we've seen for the, in, in the historical trajectory of these kinds of ratings. Yeah, and I mean, look, I think it would be unfair not to acknowledge the fact that a lot of the issues we're talking about here that seeing these negative ratings are tough issues, right? I mean, and they're, sure. they're tougher still in Texas maybe than in some other places because of the specifics of the state. But, you know, if you think about – you have property taxes we've gone over you know ad nauseum right. about the comp complexity of that but anything having to do and the with the same with the grid the grid is incredibly complicated and they actually right? did something on that but but again we'll see if voters feel i mean and well this we is, we see that so far they don't feel well, particularly the grid, the, reassured the, the grid is the greatest example as a way to illustrate all the others which is you kind of have to ask yourself this question you know if explain what the legislature did if explain in, in simple terms what the legislature did to a normal person would that normal person feel more confident that their power is not going to go off yes or no right and if you feel like they might not even understand the explanation that's probably a problem right and so that's i mean that's sort of the the, the thing here is you know how do you translate this into the feeling of voters that this thing got yeah. dealt with but none of these issues are simple the border is not simple public education and school safety not simple, and we've gone through why it would be so difficult to craft a policy solution in some ways to the idea of like gun violence in schools or gun violence generally. And so, you know, part of this is is the fact that you know the legislature has 
some really tough issues in some ways to deal with. But the constraints of the state, you know, in terms of the political culture, in terms of, you know, our revenue mechanisms and all these other things make it, you know, right. just sort of a state of affairs at this point that, you know, they've got a, a tough job really kind of for the foreseeable future. I mean, even if there's some big sea change all of a sudden, and then, you know, Texas turns blue finally, like people ask about all oh, Is that election. your prediction? No. <laughs> I don't make predictions, Jim. No predictions here. And But let's say Texas turns blue at some point in the next few election cycles. Democrats are going to have a real hard time dealing with the same set of issues. It's not like right. Democrats are going to come in and have all the solutions on this stuff because right. it's just not possible. Well, I think that's, you know, I think that's A, right, and B, you know, I, that's 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 given some love to the governing class and the difficulty of their job, but I think it's also you know, you know, it, it's it's what makes this interesting, but also this moment very difficult is that, you know, and I think we sort of, you know, it's good to return to something that we just observed as <laughs> in passing a few moments ago to kind of get to closing out is that, you know, there is a a kind of decline, I don't know, decline is probably not the right way, although empirically verifiable, probably. But, you know, the fact that the base level of expectations that government institutions are going to effectively address problems, you know, we're in a trough right now, right? And and I think, so I think, you know, I was thinking about your grid example, for example. Um, You know, Yes, political leaders have tried and will continue to try to find a way to summarize this incredibly complex solution, quote unquote, or, you know, whatever, the action that they've taken, simplify it to try to reassure voters. I think voters' openness to reassurance, not particularly high right now. Independent of, yeah. you know, almost almost entirely independent of anything they're doing at this point in time because of the long, you know, the various factors that have evolved running up to this. So, I, you know, look, I, you know, I mean, sort of, you know, I tend to like political people and, elect, yeah. you know, they're interesting people. I think they, in some ways, they suffer from people not, they suffer from a, a, a lack of realistic assessment of what motivates political actors and elected officials and and you know a lot of low expectations there some of which are deserved but some of which i think are sometimes a little bit sideways about what you what your expectations should be of an elected official to begin with well i mean in, in, in an environment in which you know a lot of times elected officials are the ones cultivating those low expectations right. you know kind of ultimately in well i mean you know actually what i would say is cult you know Simultaneously cultivating the low, you know, earning the low expectations while while cultivating the higher ones. Right, exactly. <laughs> or it might be is kind of how I would think about it, but exactly. So take away, you know, I would say go, you know, have a look at this data. You know, I hope hopefully this will help sort it out. As with a lot of the podcasts we do shortly after the polling data uh, is released, helpful to have something to follow along with at home. For sure. And so, you know, again, I'll, I'll urge you all to go and, and our listeners to go and look at the data that we'll post with this podcast, but also generally, 
you know, we've got a lot of ways to go find the data at the, at the website. There's a polling search engine in that polling section. There's a data archive. There's a latest poll page that will present all of the stuff we have here. You can that search is it by keyword. Searchable by keyword. Title. Exactly. So I urge you all to do that. Um, I think with the holiday week coming, we're also, our, our, our schedule for July will be pretty slim. So you may not hear from us for a while, or we may wind up fitting one more in. We we'll, just like it so much. We'll see what, yeah, we'll, we'll see what people like. They like that. We may be back tomorrow. Who knows? Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll do another one right after this. <laughs> we'll, uh, um, so we'll be a little spotty in July, you know, as, as summer sets in. But keep an eye out, and please keep, you know, keep an eye out on the website. We'll continue to probably put out some content on the website over the summer because we can't really help it. So at that, at the same URL, if you go to texaspolitics.utexas.edu, on any of the blog posts, you'll find a sign-up sheet for our mailing, which is, you know, a little irregular. But, you know, I say that in a good way that, yeah. you know, if you sign up, you're not going to get stuff every day. I actually signed up for a couple of things on one of the posting platforms, and I've got to go shut off notifications because it's making me crazy. We guarantee you, you will not get something every day from us. Right, you will not get something every day from us. So with that, thanks again to Josh for being here and uh, on, a, on a hot summer day. Thanks again to our excellent production team in the Dev Studio and the College of Liberal Arts here at UT Austin, who has done just a great job over the 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 life of this podcast, but the, the team in, in the studio right now, I think is particularly good and we really appreciate you. Um, thank you for listening. Stay cool and healthy out there. And we'll be back at some point in the not too distant future with another second reading podcast. The second reading podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. 